Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. If you're looking for clarity on your passion... Sign up for my free five-day email challenge today on my website at www.neliahut.com. That's www.neliahutt.com to sign up now. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. I am so happy to have you here and I am your host, Nelia Hutt. Today, I've made another new friend. Her name is Becca Ribbing. How are you, Becca? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. It's an honor. I know we're all so busy these days. And yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. And I think the audience is really going to benefit from our conversation today. So I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about you. So Becca Ribbing, she is the author of the Clarity Journal and has been a coach for over a decade. She's on a mission to help people break out of the cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back. She helps women going back and forth with the big, seemingly endless question of what to do next so they can stop going around in circles and finally figure out what they're what they truly want and create the clarity and momentum they crave. And I love this so much. This is why we do the podcast. I love this topic. I'm so passionate about it. And yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to get started. (laughs) So how are you doing today? You doing well? I'm doing great. And you know, it's so funny. Every time someone introduces me and reads that, it's like, I smile. Like, it's kind of a funny thing to be introduced on these podcasts. Like, oh, look at that. That's pretty cool. You know, it's great. I only have heart-centered people on here, genuine people. And it's it's funny because it's so easy to make a connection, I think, that way. And mm-hmm. we all just want the same things. You know, we, we do go about it a little bit differently sometimes, but the end goal is is pretty close, you know. So yeah, if you're listening at home, you know, grab something warm to drink, or if you're driving, just be careful, but, you know, listen in, pay attention, and it's going to be awesome. So I know today, uh, Becca's going to talk a bit about going deeper than self-care and why it feels like self-care should make us happier, but that's not always the case. So Becca, how... Uh, Before we even get into that, how did you start working in this field? Why is this work important to you? I love how you asked that. I, well, thank you. (laughs) I, I feel like I got into this field when I was like 10 or 11. I didn't mean to, obviously. And it's not like I got this as a job when I was 10 or 11, but I remember so distinctly 
being in this car with my grandfather. My grandfather had picked me up. I was visiting them for the summer and I don't know, you're in Toronto. They were in Chicago. Chicago can be really hot and humid during the summer, even though it has the perception that it's a cold weather place. And so I get in the car, he's picking me up from a friend's house and it was the end of the work day. And I am reasonably sure he did not have air conditioning because I remember it just feeling oppressive and love my grandfather, but you know, bubbly little 11 year old me said, Hey, how was your day? Blah, blah, blah. And oh my gosh, she's just like, it was awful. I hate my boss. I hate my job, blah, blah, blah. And finally back to bubbly Becca. So why do you stay? Like, why don't you get a new job? You know, you, like mm-hmm. 10, 11 year olds, like don't really necessarily understand what a 62 year old man is going through. And, and so he just really like looked at me and was like, you don't get another job. Like I've had this job forever. Like this is what I'm going to do until I retire. Not even an option. It's not even an option. And like, kind of like how stupid of you kid. (laughs) And I think part of it was, he was usually really, really nice to me. And like, I got along great with my grandfather. So it's kind of like one of those like kind of slimy moments of like dealing with other people's drama and world perception and but I knew right then that that is not what I wanted and it really obviously stuck with me because I still remember it like 30 years later and you know I just have always gravitated towards whenever someone starts complaining about work uh to like okay, so like, let's look and see how we can fix this. And I, it really came to a head when I was a couple of years out of college and I was trying to find myself, you know, you go to college, you think, you know, everything when you're 20. <laughs> and so I, I got out of college, got the job I thought I wanted, really did not like it. Like there were things I loved about it. It's not like I was wholly wrong, but it just wasn't what I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. And that was really intense for me. It's really like, you think you knew, mm. but school is so different than real life. I, I did all of this like personal development. My, my first real like forming into the personal development, um, you know, space. The word? Yeah. Thank you. Like, ah. um, and yeah, I figured out my Myers-Briggs type. I figured out my Enneagram type. I figured, like, I read all of the books and it really wasn't it helping me figure out what I wanted to do. And it was really funny because it was definitely helping me learn more about myself and get better in touch with myself, but I was still kind of not sure what I was going to do. And as I was going through that process, I kept helping other people figure out what they were going to do because my friends were all in that same space. They were in their mid twenties. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do. They didn't like the job they were in or they were pigeonholed. And I kept helping my friends get really great jobs. (laughs) And after a while, maybe after like two, three, five of them, I can't remember really. I was like, this is what I want to do. I am going to help people figure out what they want to do. And I'm going to help them like, oh, I hate the term maximize, maximize, but like maximize their passion. Like, I think that sometimes we use the word maximize in a very like commercial 
you know, capitalist sense. But to me, ma maximizing is just really like making sure all of your cards are on the spot that you want them to be on, like where your strengths are, where your passions are, just where you find joy. And so that's kind of mm -hmm. how I ended up in this. That's awesome. And a lot of times we don't know what we're good at. We can't see, we can't figure our own stuff out. Like you were good, you know, exactly what you said. You're good at helping other people figure out, you know, and you just can't, you know, for years I was like, well, I'm not good at anything. I'm not talented at anything. And then you learn how to do that. Right. So I'm so glad that you, you and I offer that. Um, so why is it important to you? Like, is it because you don't want to hear everybody living their life like your grandfather sort of in that moment? I think that I just have this internal drive to not waste potential. Mm. Um, I th and I think that also, you know, you spend like at a minimum, you spend 30, but usually 40, 50 hours of your life every week at work. And I really value happiness. I think that also I had a really another formative experience when I was a kid that um, when I was 12, we had, I was living in New Jersey. I was the biggest geek. I am still a pretty big geek, but I was a much bigger geek then. And I, a, a valley girl, Californian, long blonde hair, spoke like she was straight out of Hollywood came and visited her aunt in my neighborhood. And I spent a week or two just hanging out with her thinking she was the coolest thing ever. And one day we were, I don't remember any other conversation we had. It's more just perception. But one day she was telling me about how, I think it was a Buddhist monk that came into her school and taught the kids how to meditate. And so I learned how to meditate from a pretty young age, from a 13 year old. And the 13 year olds like, the whole range of the conversation really involved, sit cross-legged, put your hands on your knees and visualize your breath going in and visualize your breath going out. And that's it. And me being big old geek was like, I'm gonna be like Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna do this. And so I just started meditating and i think that you know learning from another child as you know an adolescent it was so empowering because when you learn as an adult you know maybe you get a 300 page book on mindfulness <laughs> for beginners or maybe you go to a weekend long like meditation retreat but it's all so rules. big it's so big it's so rules oriented and it is so overwhelming like if I, I feel like if I tried to learn that way, it would just, you'd never get there. It would be, you'd never get there. Like I learned by doing it for like three minute stints when I was 12, like, you know, and mm. I think that if I tried to sit down, listen to a two hour lecture and then sit cross-legged for 45 minutes, I just, it actually makes me want to panic a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just talking with somebody the other day. And we were discussing how kids don't see in adolescence, I put them all in, in kids, but they don't see the challenges between here and there, right? It's just like, this is what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to do it, right? So they don't come up with all of these, you know, walls in between that have to be knocked down. So I love that so much. 
So you talk. I want to write that down. Actually, (laughs) you're so right. That's it. Like I didn't have any walls, and so I think that, like, at a very real level, because I had that framework for my entire teenage years, it really did help me get kind of more in touch with myself in a way that I didn't even know that I should value. Like going back to your original statement, like we don't know what our like what we bring what we what our strengths are and I find that with so many people it's like I start talking to them and Mm -hmm. after about 15 minutes I start saying hey do you know xyz is a strength of yours and almost all the time they kind of look at me a little puzzled and are you sure like that's easy that's not a strength because that's easy (laughs) and isn't it funny like for me I find yes you when you're helping somebody find their passion and their purpose, because I feel that they're two different things, um, it does help to get to know the person really well, but sometimes you can help figure these things out with them by knowing them for a shorter amount of time, because you can see it. You can see it so clearly when it happens. And it's just... Yeah, I love that moment. I love the moment where it's like you can connect what the person loves with, you know, what can they do with it? Because it just sparks this whole new, it's a whole new way of life. You know, you can really go from that moment like your grandfather was saying, and we've all had those days where it was, oh, I'm just so tired. And, you know, every day looks the same. It doesn't have to be like that, you know? And I love that your friend, or that blonde haired girl, you know, showed you that because so many times we learn, 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 and we don't do, you know, and if we just did the things and consumed less knowledge about them, like it's important to know how to meditate and to know why you're doing it and to understand all of those things, but not to the point where if you, you're reading so much about it, you never actually try it. Like you need to actually do it and get in the trenches and then you can modify it, right? That's a great way of putting it. (laughs) So why do you think that self-care is a band-aid? Because it's not getting at why we feel depleted in the first place. I guess I, before we even go there, I need to find out what your definition of self-care is really, because we all have different, slightly different definitions, right? So I think that that gets into the question. Like, I think that society presents self-care as the box of chocolates and the bubble bath. And to me, self-care is a deep mindfulness about what is and isn't working for you. Mm. And I think that sometimes when we are told that we, you know, that we're stressed out, we need self-care, you know, we either do a box of chocolate, we either get a box of chocolates, take the bubble bath, get the glass of wine, or we do things like yoga or meditate. But oftentimes neither of those really get at the problem because meditation is fabulous. And I am certainly not knocking meditation, but when we teach meditation here in this country and in most other countries, we teach it letting go of our thoughts. And, you know, the whole idea is to actually let go of the chatter. And we really don't have a structured time in our day to actually acknowledge the chatter, to really like explore the chatter and figure out what the chatter is trying to tell you. And I think that oftentimes our emotions are trying to tell us something. And 
self-care can become this band-aid, this, this like thing that you put on top of your emotions to try to push away the emotion instead of recognizing that the emotion is actually fine. The, emo the emotion of anger, the emotion of frustration, those things are just trying to tell us that a boundary is being pushed or that we are not living our life in the way we really want to. And so if, you know, as, especially as women, I think, you know, it's so often that our, our emotions are suppressed. Like we're told our anger isn't rational. We're told yada, yada, you know, like, and, but like, if you try to do self-care without actually recognizing what's going on underneath the surface that you need the self-care in the first place, mm -hmm. then you're missing the point of self-care. There's so many things that when you were saying that, so many things that came up in my mind. So I do agree with you about the meditation part that we learn that it's about letting go. But I think so meditation is also about acknowledging it first and then letting it go. But not to the point where I think you're, you're trying to say, hey, you know, we need to really understand what's going on, right? So I think that's really good. So many of us, and me included in my personal story, um, suppress. And we suppress because we want to protect ourselves. You know, we figure if it's not, you know, if we don't think about it, it can't really be there. But then things happen, like we create more problems and more problems. And so I think, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that it can be a Band-Aid. So I absolutely agree with you. And it, it's like anything. It's like it... I don't know, like I think even of addiction sometimes, right? And the addiction is not the cause. Something is, is happening and then the addiction is like the result, you know? And it's the same, I think, with self-care. Like, I totally agree with you. It's nice to have a massage. It's nice to do the chocolate. It's nice to do the candles. And oh my goodness, I think we should all have a little bit of that in our lives. But it's more than that. It's so much more. So I'm so happy that you're here talking about it today. You know, it's about the boundaries and about letting, not believing all the bad stuff people think you are or listening to you and, you know, all of that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Well, and I think Band-Aid is actually a really, when I um, use the metaphor of self-care as a Band-Aid, I actually think it's a really powerful metaphor because sometimes when we say something as a band-aid that's like a, a negative but band-aids are great you know they protect you know it's like it covers the little cut it protects it it keeps it dry and safe and maybe keeps the antibiotics on right like it's a loving comforting thing however you try to put a band-aid on a big gaping wound mm. then it just causes more problems than it solves because like the glue is getting into the wound and you know it's like not actually covering or healing and so like self-care is great. You know, you get cut off on a highway and you just feel like icky. Self-care is great. But if your boss has yelled at you for the fifth time at work, self-care is still great. Like the, the things that we traditionally think of as self-care are still good. Like I'm not saying that you shouldn't go do yoga or shouldn't go take a run, but you need to recognize that it, it won't actually protect you. It will like feel good for the amount of time you're doing it. That massage is gonna feel good for that hour and be really lovely. 
And if you get out of the massage and have another annoying text from that boss who yelled at you earlier in the day, the cortisol is going to shoot right back up. Right. I think, yeah, because I hear you, I hear you sort of saying like, those things will make you feel good in the short term, but they won't heal the problem. Like they won't, they won't heal you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other good part about calling it a bandaid to me is like, you know, anything that's, so when you pull it off, like you're talking about putting a small bandaid on a big wound, it just creates more problems. But also when you're pulling it off, it's like those first few moments when you're trying to feel better about certain things, it hurts. It's hard. It can sting, but until that's done, it won't start feeling better. That's a really good point. I had never pulled it to that conclusion and I'm going to use that. <laughs> that really is. Talking about, because eventually you have to take it off, right? Right. And But the pain is like quick and it, it hurts. And then it's like, okay, let's get the garbage out. And now let's, it's time for healing, right? Right. Like well, if- or the, it's already started to heal underneath it. Yeah. Like it's given the space for the healing to have already begun. And so you're, able to deal with the pain of ripping it off easier but aren't we so afraid sometimes of oh my god it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt like of the future of what you know of having it hurt that sometimes we don't take it off so we stop ourselves from feeling that pain but it's not until we do it that we can actually heal yeah well a really good example of this is my kid god love him like i you know, it's winter, like we don't run around like in swim shorts or anything. Like <laughs> I did not notice that his vaccine band-aid was on for like a long time, like oh. weeks. Like oh, my no. mother of the year award is coming in the mail, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's just old enough he can take his own showers. Like yeah. <laughs> so um and so finally he started like one day he comes to me and he's like oh my god this hurts and I freaked out like he had had like it was like all like I finally I was like I'm sorry kid like I'm gonna have to rip it off and this is probably gonna hurt because I could tell around the edges it was all raw and red and irritated and crusty and it actually didn't hurt as much as I thought it was going to because it wasn't that bad underneath but that's the thing you leave it on too long and it ends up re-irritating yeah absolutely So the other thing we wanted to talk about today is how to recognize when what you're doing isn't working and how to face that straight on. So what are some of the things that people can look for that will tell them, hey, this isn't working for me, like I need to make a change, whether it's their job or, you know, what are some of the types of things we may feel? So I think one of the biggest ones for me Oh again, this is gonna be like my mother of the year award. <laughs> but I like to be really honest. It's like if I start snapping at my kids and you know, sure, maybe they're doing something that they know they're not supposed to do. Maybe like they're doing something that like I, you know, my older one is supposed to do the dishes. Like I ha- you know, have to be a little more forceful about making sure it happens. Yeah. Uh, forceful is maybe not the nicest word either, but It's like, if that stuff sends me like sky high, (laughs) you know, it's like they're kids, like they're, you're going to have to give reminders. Like if you, if you stop being able to handle kind of those daily little like 
slight nuisances Mm -hmm. and you find yourself getting really upset I think a lot of times when it didn't you could be getting mad at your kids but something at work is going wrong you know it's like when you're having disproportionate reactions I think that that's for me the biggest indicator that there's something going on that is just not in alignment with what you want I'm so glad I'm not the only one because I get short fuses sometimes too when things aren't going you know and I cranky at the weirdest things and I love the way you said it's not proportionate because that's when you know it's just any little thing can set you off right it's it's right. just burnout yeah I'm yeah sorry. and I think that there are other things in in there that like you know someone might not actually snap you know because maybe they don't feel safe snapping Mm -hmm. but they're internally fuming for longer than they should be um you know it can look a lot of different ways so to me that's one of the biggest Mm -hmm. ones that when you start noticing yourself doing that like for me it sometimes takes me a couple days of journaling like what is it like why am I freaking out about things that I don't need to be freaking out about um why am I feeling weaker than I should like where am I not feeling my strength not feeling empowered Mm -hmm. um and I think that also when you start like mentally kind of when I am stuck I tell myself I don't know even if I do know Mm. it's almost like this like negative mantra in my head I don't know I don't know what I want to do I don't know I don't know I don't know like I can tell you like a billion different I don't knows so if you find yourself kind of like going into those negative mantras sometimes they're not even about the thing that's really bugging you but it's time to then shine the light on it so that you can kind of figure out where you want to go with it Mm, absolutely so what do you do for self-care oh I take long showers that's my biggest self-care I also meditate but for some reason meditation doesn't necessarily feel like self-care it feels Mm. a little different to me I I, it's it's something for everyone and I don't know whether it's because I've been doing it for so long to me it's like just getting my head screwed on straight um I also love taking walks. Uh, Mm -hmm. I really, I love taking walks with friends, with family. And oftentimes if I need self-care, I will take a walk by myself. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Reading helps me too, but if I'm too tired, Mm -hmm. I end up falling asleep. I love like where I can do something mindless, but just rest my brain. And then other Mm -hmm. times I can get right in there and and sort of analyze things. It just depends on my mood, but like I like to color or I like to do crafts or paint or anything like that or play music or sometimes just zone out, you know? And sometimes, yeah, it's just, um, it doesn't always have to be, you know, this expensive thing that that you have to buy all these great, you know, smelling perfumes and that you have to do all of these things. Sometimes the best self care is the cheapest and it costs the least amount. Well, sometimes so, I think that when we want to spend money on self care, it can become like trying to buy happiness. Mm. You know, sometimes those easy things to do, like pick up like coloring, you know, I mean, that's easy unless you then go and buy like $50 worth of markers and $50 worth of coloring books, which I have done before. 
<laughs> you know, but then it's like, it becomes less self-care and more kind of, I think it's almost bargaining, you know, you know, in the stages of grief, bargaining is one of those stages. I think sometimes we can we'll buy stuff because we're almost bargaining with my, ourselves. Like if I do this for myself, then I will feel better. And it yes. rarely ends up feeling as better as you wish it would. Yeah. Cause putting yourself first doesn't always mean go out and shop, <laughs> you know, right. I think that's, uh, we need to find something that means more to ourselves. Right. Sometimes yeah. um, I ask a question of some of my guests and I don't always, but I'd like to ask you this question. So what have you, what was the biggest gift you've given to yourself in your life that has changed the way that you ultimately felt about who you are and about yourself? That's a great question. I honestly think the biggest gift to myself, okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit with a story. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I was, I, I love my children and I feel like in some ways, like I am a good mom. I am aware that I am a good mom. I joke about like my parenting errors because we all, I mean, anyone who is a parent has parenting oh, errors. <laughs> oh yes. But so I had my first child. My first child was a super, super easygoing kid. I babysat a lot. So I was very aware that he was very easy. <laughs> um, I was aware that he was like the easiest child I'd ever met when he was a kid, when he was little. Um, and like, I was one of those glowy pregnant women before he was born. Like I did yoga every day. I did yoga the day I delivered him. <laughs> I did yoga and I went on a long walk. Like I was like that glowy pregnant woman, woman that most pregnant women hate. <laughs> and then my second child, I had a really bad chiropractic adjustment um in uh, near the end of my first trimester and I was walking with a cane on and off for the rest of my pregnancy mm. and I was in physical therapy twice a week and no one could do anything really um I mean they could help me manage it but they couldn't actually fix it because your body's making those hormones to loosen up your hips and it was my hip and it just it, it was a struggle two very and different situations right two very mm. different situations and a situation I was not expecting at all and then in my third trimester, while I'm basically like partially disabled, we moved from Washington, D.C. to Seattle, Washington, because uh, my husband got his dream job. And, and then my adorable little baby was born, and he was not as easy as his brother. <laughs> um, through no fault of his own, he ended up in the NICU uh, for just a couple days. Um, and then like, and then he started having really horrible chronic ear infections. And so the little bug was adorable and in pain and that like, and was huge. Ah, Both my tough. children, I have very chunky children uh, or I did like babies. <laughs> I, I have very yeah. chunky babies. And so he's like 25 pounds by the time he's like three months and he never wants to be put down. And I have a hip injury that I'm trying to recover from. Oh. And it was just too much. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that space of it being I literally it. like too much, you strip out everything, like mm. everything. Like I really was just trying to keep my children and myself alive at that point. Mm -hmm. And 
So, you know, the funny thing is, is when you're in the middle of that, you really end up going into fight flight mode, like, and you are like fighting, you're going to fix this, you are going to like get through it, your, your brain like kind of almost makes this switch, like, we're going to get you through this. And so you're not even necessarily aware of just like how stressed out you are in that moment, because you're really running on adrenaline. And that's great. It gets you through it. The funny thing is, is when you come back out of that, then that's that's when it hits you so he's actually getting better and instead of me being happier i'm actually getting worse because i had given up so much over the course of basically a span of two three years and so what i gave to myself was being really authentic with friends and i was talking to a friend about like what was going on like I was really stuck I felt really stuck I still had clients but that was basically all like that was the only thing I did outside of parenting and I was talking about this friend and I wasn't really happy with the coaching because I would gotten rid of so many of the fun things about it and was really just you know dealing with clients who were great but it was stressful and I really wanted to start being expansive and I didn't even recognize it so I was talking to a friend my friend was like, Becca, your coach, what would you tell yourself? I wanted to <laughs> reach out through Zoom and hit her. <laughs> love those friends who got it. I you know, they get love it. Love those friends. She's awesome. And I got off the phone. I sat down and I wrote down every single thing I could think of that I had asked clients that helped them get unstuck helped them gain clarity and that's honestly where the clarity journal came from but at a very real level the clarity journal um, which is my book is was my gift to myself like when I was coming out of that space and I really you know it was it was hard but it was also so necessary to get myself out of that kind of dark place and really get back in touch with myself because we all have those moments where we lose touch with ourselves. And I can guarantee you, anyone listening, any coach you ever hear has those moments where they've lost touch with themselves too. And getting back in touch with yourself is not easy, but it's so necessary. Yeah. And so worth it. You know, what a beautiful gift because honestly, like as you were telling the story, you know, I had similar, like I have one son and I had similar you know, I was burnt out because this is why I've only had one. (laughs) My son is lovely, but for the first, you know, eight years of his life, he just didn't sleep and I could barely hold on, you know, and I was always so exhausted. And once he was better, I was like, okay, I'm an insomniac now. Like I can't, like he has a sleep disorder. So he literally did not sleep and it was tough. You know, it's tough. And when you have those moments where you're just kind of grasping on, you know, I think as moms or even as dads, sometimes we, 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 um, these things come into our lives, you know, at the moment, we don't see the gift in it, but when it's over, like to give yourself that gift, see, I respect so much when people go through these challenges, like you have, and then you created something that, you know, will help people because it helped you. Like, I respect that, you know, and I love, that's a, kind of people that I love connecting with because you know it's gonna 
you know, it's going to help people, you, you know what it was like before and after, you know, so I appreciate you sharing that with us so that we can actually see where this came out of, you know, where this book came out of. So you had mentioned it um, before we were recording, but you have this um, thing that people can can sign up for, right? It's it's mm -hmm. called Get Unstuck. It's a journaling prompts. Yeah, so they're downloadable. Yeah. And it's um, really kind of, so the Clarity Journal is much more expansive and forward looking to like figure out what you actually want to do with your life. Whereas Get Unstuck is really just, um, I think it's about 20, 20 ish journaling prompts to really help you get unstuck in the moment. Cause you know, a lot of times we do know what we want, but we just feel kind of blah and we're having a hard time gaining momentum or motivation. And so the prompts are really to help you kind of gain that energy back about the things you already know you want to do. Yeah. It sounds like a great place to start because it's actionable, yeah. right? Sometimes when, yep. when we're in that moment of not confusion, but we're not really sure what to do next, if it takes too long to read like a whole book at first, we're just going to, we're going to stop. So sometimes you need that, you know, here's, here's a suggestion, try it, some quick action. So I love that so much. So I know people can get it on your website, which is your name, right? BeccaRibbing.com. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. There's so many other things we could talk about. I don't know. We could go on forever. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to discuss? Oh, I don't think so. I think that the only really big takeaway that I'd love to end with, like to impart is yeah. that, you know, you only have this one life. And I think especially I've spent a lot of time accidentally talking about parenthood a lot. And I think it's especially easy in parenthood to tell yourself that you'll do something later to tell yourself once the kid starts sleeping through the night, I'll do something. Once, you know, once the kid goes to school, I'll do something. Once the kid goes to middle school, I'll do something. And I see this play out a lot because I'll have women in their late fifties or their early sixties hire me that had always been telling themselves that they would figure it out later. And really by that time, they feel this immense loss of time. And so I just, time is precious. And we often say that about kids and everything, but your time for you is precious. And it's really important to really recognize that's almost the only thing you have. Like that is the most tangibly important thing that you have in your life is your time. And to really if you don't feel like it's you're taking time. control of it, right. If you don't feel like you're taking control of it, then you sh really should. I, my son asked me this really amazing question, like just two hours ago where we were walking and he asked me how many days would we live if we lived to be a hundred? And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to use a calculator for that. And I didn't write then, but I did the mental math. I don't know whether I did it right. Um, but I think I came up with something like 30,000 days is probably roughly like, I just kind of winged it. And that's not that many, like when you think about it. So especially if I could interrupt you for a second, uh -huh. especially those are days that you were alive, but I would right. tend to differ that those aren't necessarily days that you lived. Yeah. So I think probably making each of them days you live. Yeah, we really, really lived probably 
20% of that time, you know? So that's what you're trying to give back to people, right? When these people come to you at 50, 60, like I'll be 50 this year. And when people, you know, I can see like you're mourning the years and mourning the time, but I want people to know, like you do too, that you can be a mom, you can have your dreams, you can still do things for yourself. And I, I like to argue that I think it's great when your kids can see you wanting more that you're a person you know I wasn't it wasn't until I was like 17 or 18 that I realized my parents were people like it's you know they were always just my parents and then I'm like well no my dad likes to do this and my mom like how dare they like it should be all about me but then it's not and I think the healthier relationships come from that come to you know that you see that your parents are, are good at something else or there I think it's it's it helps everybody like the child too right I think so I mean that is actually a big big thing that like you were I want to say like amen or like (laughs) (laughs) you can say that it is like what are you teaching your kids? I mean, I have two boys, but I often think about like, if I had two, like if I had two girls, what are you teaching your kids if you're not living from your passion? Because like, I, you know, my parents, neither of my parents really lived from their passion necessarily. And like, they both have very happy lives, I would say, but like, it is such a gift to children to see their parents actually prioritizing themselves and actually giving themselves the gift of purpose and passion and joy even if they don't think that that's what they're seeing like as right. kids they won't analyze it right but no, they but they'll analyze it when they're in happy. their 30s <laughs> yes, they can tell if mom's happy or mom's stressed right so you know it's funny when you said life is too short i have this um hourglass i'll show you so I tend to, when I feel like time is going too fast, I just kind of flip it over and it takes a while for it to go down, but it's, it's just, I keep it on my desk because it's a reminder for me to take breaks. And it's just a reminder of how fast, how fast life, life goes. Right. But you know, that's a great thing to keep, to keep in mind. Definitely. Thank you. I enjoyed this so much. This was really great. I appreciate you having me on. I always love these conversations. Yeah, you know, it helps me to see things from other people's point of view and things that we may agree on, we may not agree. You know, just, it just, there's always, I always learn something from having conversations and being open and, and understanding. And I, you know, you have two boys, I have one boy, even though we're both moms. And we could have completely different situations. I could relate with your situation, although it was a little bit different. You know, I feel that struggle of, oh my goodness, you know, I should be doing better. Why am I not able to handle this better? And then just trying to do everything that you can and then just being exhausted at the end of it. Like I get it, you know, and a lot of people will relate to that. So the gift that you gave to yourself and now that you're sharing with everybody else, it's going to be really helpful. So thank you so much for creating it and for doing the work that you do. Thank you. Yeah, I think that it's just, you know, I think the conversations are so powerful because there's so much creative growth in them. You know, like I couldn't have come up with the clarity journal without my friend. Like I honestly, there have been a couple of things that you've said. I'm like, 
mind blown. Like that's like <laughs> totally furthering what I've already been like spending a lot of time thinking about. And you think that that I want to say a creative addition, you know, that like growth and being able to like synergetic, synergetically, like kind of come up with new and expansive ideas. is just yeah. so important. It doesn't come in isolation. No, it doesn't. For sure. No, I think that's great. Thank you so much. I, I hope to connect with you again. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, Please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.